official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Have you guys ever noticed how the holidays make you think about your life more intently? I don't know what it is about November and December, but I always find myself reflecting on my life more deeply during these months. And I end up, it just ends up every year this way. It's not intentional. I don't plan it. But I end up doing a lot of visioneering for my life during the holiday months. And one thing that I've been contemplating as of late and reflecting on is that when I look back at my life to this point, I've noticed there's, there's been a handful, a number of moments that appeared very ordinary at first glance, but they ended up being monumental in shaping the direction that I moved into. Have you guys ever had anything like that happen to you before, where you reflect and say, yeah, there's these moments in my life that seemed ordinary at first, but when I entered into them, they became monumental in shaping where I am and, and who I am. And I, I was reflecting on that, realizing that I never once saw a sign with flashing letters that said, attention, life-changing moment ahead, or attention, yeah, the, uh, powerful divine moment is about to happen. It usually, as I reflected, it usually wasn't until I entered into those moments and engaged them that I started to understand their significance. I remember back when my wife and I were dating, and things were getting a little bit serious, and we were at the movie theater, sitting in theater seats like you're sitting in right now. And we're just waiting for the movie to start, and an accidental conversation happened about marriage. And I think she brought it up, because she was after me. <laughs> I can say that because she's in nursery right now, so <laughs> helping out, serving today. But it just, kind of, it just kind of happened. And it wasn't until after that conversation that I, that I said, whoa, that was a significant we just had the conversation about potential marriage. And I was thinking, wow, that was really significant. It did not feel like the significant build-up to this moment. It just kind of happened. And there, there's, there's those types of moments that happen to us that we think appear quite ordinary on the surface, but they become really monumental in shaping who we are. And another thing I've been reflecting on about those moments is that how many moments I may have missed because I was too passive to engage them. Um, you see, this is kind of like therapy for me. You guys are my therapists today. <laughs> As I'm thinking about all the reflection and the things I'm contemplating and thinking about, have there ever been times when you felt like you were living your life in neutral? And you were just being passive and you're wondering, like, is life just passing by? And, and at those times, I don't know about you, but I'm often apprehensive to do anything because I don't want to make a mistake. And so that's what I mean by living in neutral, just kind of like sitting here and just waiting for clarity and for everything to come together. See, I, I believe that as Christians, we're really good at hiding our passivity behind our piety. Do you know what I mean by that? We kind of, we kind of excuse our passivity away. We say things like, oh, I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit to let me know exactly what to do. 
and I'm just kind of in a holding pattern, and I'm just waiting. And we convince ourselves that that's the most spiritual way to live life. It feels safer. There's less mistakes. There's less accidents. But it can also paralyze us, right? And if we're not careful, we can spend the entirety of our lives waiting on God when he's, in fact, waiting on us just to put the car in drive, right? We get to the point where we say, well, I'm just going to wait until there's clarity and everything is easy and everything is done for me, and then I'll know it's God pushing me into something new and leading me into something new. Uh, but, but I need to tell you this. There are some things that we don't need to get permission from God for because he's already commissioned us to do them, right? Things like give, serve, love, encourage, testify, forgive others, make disciples. And our problem oftentimes is those moments and opportunities look very ordinary. And, and if you're like me, a lot of times I'm sitting on, on the sidelines or living life in neutral, and I'm waiting for the extraordinary moment to unfold. And I miss the ordinary opportunities that God's placed in front of me. And what I'm noticing lately as I reflect back and kind of do some visioneering for my life is that it's usually the ordinary moments that become the monumental ones in shaping our lives. And yet we often miss them. See, I believe this, that our problem isn't that we don't know what to do with our lives. It's that we don't do what we know. Right? We just kind of put our car in neutral. We're like, okay, God, I'm trusting in you. And it sounds very spiritual, and it can be, to wait and pray on the Lord. But we spend so much time there that we miss the opportunities that God is waiting for us to engage in. I don't know why this is that we think that we're way out in front of God and we just have to wait for him. <laughs> you know, we're, God, we've got it going on and we know and we're way out in front and we just have to wait for you. No, he's out in front of us. <laughs> he's waiting on us to get there, right? And so today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that tells the story of a young man named Jonathan who decides that he can't live one more moment in neutral. And he's determined to, to seize a divine moment, even though he doesn't know kind of what that will look like and what it is. And we're going to look at a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now, I get, need to give you just a little, <coughs> excuse me, a little background info before we read. What happens in, in 1 Samuel 14 is right before this chapter unfolds and takes place, the Philistine army has invaded and raided Israel, and the majority of Israel's army has fled to the hill country. There's only 600 soldiers left to fend off the Philistines. To make matters worse, the Philistines have confiscated all their weapons and killed their blacksmiths. And so this group of 600 is, is camping under a pomegranate tree, and they have two swords among them. King Saul has a sword, and his son, Prince Jonathan, has a sword. And they're underneath this pomegranate tree, just camping out, deciding what to do next. And that leads us to verse 1, 1 Samuel 14, verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Magron. With him were about 600 men, 
among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, and son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now, we're provided here with some interesting information in these opening verses. And we're told that there's a priest with them. There's these 600 soldiers without any weapons, and King Saul's there, and there's a priest with them. And the priest is wearing an ephod. Now, an ephod was a priestly garment of intercession. It was like a breastplate, and oftentimes the priest would put this ephod on in order to seek God on behalf of the people. And on this ephod were 12 stones, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and he would put that on, the priest, and then go seek God on behalf of the people. And so what we find out from that is these 600 men in King Saul and this priest, they're under this pomegranate tree, and they're seeking God together, They're trying to get God's direction and strategy. What do we do with two swords and 600 people facing thousands of Philistine raiders who've killed our blacksmiths, confiscated our weapons? What do we do? Well, the passage tells us that Jonathan, King Saul's son, gets antsy. And there's a sense of urgency that's built up in his heart, and he knows that something needs to be done. And so while everybody's sleeping under the tree, under the pomegranate tree, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, come on, let's go. Let's go over there. And he doesn't tell his father because sometimes it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. He knows that if he asks his dad, his dad's going to say, what are you crazy? Get back over here. And so he doesn't ask. He just goes. And verse 6 says this, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, Let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I read that and I say, wow, Jonathan had tremendous faith. But you know what else he had? Terrible recruiting skills. (laughs) Because he's saying to his armor bearer, who doesn't even have any armor to bear, He's saying to his armor bearer, hey, you know what we should do? We should go raid the Philistine encampment, you and I. And maybe, perhaps, maybe God will help us. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Jonathan's armor bearer, I would think you are absolutely out of your mind. You're asking me to risk my life, and you don't even have a plan. You're just hanging this all on a maybe. See, Jonathan was the next in line to be king. And if I was his armor bearer, I would say, Jonathan, you're next in line to the throne. You can't throw away your kingdom on a maybe, perhaps. God will help. We have one sword. We need to just stay here, and we need to just play it safe. We need to just live another day and just hope that it all Turns out the priest is wearing the ephod. Let's just go with them, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll just pray, and we'll wait. This is not worth the risk. Have you guys ever noticed that our blessings can become obstacles for seizing our divine moments? It's funny, because the more that God blesses us with, the harder it is to risk and to take faith, to exercise faith, and to follow God into the future. I remember when I was first starting out in occupational pastoral ministry, my first position at a church, I was making $19,000 a year. 
And because I was considered self-employed, 15.3% of that went to Social Security. So if you do the math, I wasn't making a lot of money. (laughs) And I was newly married, and Michelle and I, we, all we could afford was this little apartment for $300 a month, including utilities. But over the next several years, God just started to slowly and incrementally bless our lives. We, we had made new friendships. We, we started a family of our own. We got pay raises here and there along the way. And, and my wife, Michelle, got this great job where she was trained to be an x-ray tech and an orthodontics assistant. And we, we bought our first home during that time. And we even bought some furniture to put in it, <laughs> which is really something you need to do when you buy a home. We had started this little tiny small savings account, and my, the church I was working at decided to give me this little tiny kind of matching retirement program. And everything was, was going wonderfully until 2008. We were coming over to Burlington for my son to get some medical attention and care and seeing some physicians over here. And it felt like God was pulling on my heart to come here and plant a church. And that was in 2008. And at first, man, I wrestled with that. Because if, if, if I did that, if, if, if I followed God's lead, then I'd have to give up the house we just bought. I'd have to spend what little savings we had to discontinue our retirement. We had to say goodbye to all of our friends and family. And, and I was pastoring at that time just a wonderful church where we had all kinds of support. We would have to say goodbye to them, find new sources of income. It all just seems so difficult. We'd get to keep the kids. But that, that, was, that was about all we felt like we were leaving with. And, and I remember my wife Michelle and I having conversations. Do we really want to give all this up to pursue the future that God wants to create with us? Isn't it strange how the very blessings God gives us can become obstacles to seizing the future that he wants to create with us. Luckily, one of the side effects of following Jesus is that you stop trying to figure everything out and make sense of everything. And you start to realize that there's a huge difference between making a living and making a life. And so my wife Michelle and I came to the conclusion that if we want to seize divine moments together as husband and wife and together as a family, we can't spend our lives trying to avoid the context in which they happen. And so we said goodbye to a whole bunch of things to come here and to plant this church. And we didn't even know what we were doing. We came over here and we, we unloaded our stuff in the house and we're like, okay, now what? How do you start a church? See, one thing that I've learned in my years of following Jesus, is that you can't follow God and remain in neutral because God's always moving. And sometimes we're faced with this difficulty of like, well, in order to go up to where God is calling me, I have to give up all of these blessings. Well, let's go on in this text. In verse 7, after Jonathan makes his pitch to the armor bearer, which is not a very good pitch, Verse 7 says, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Now understand, they don't even have a plan yet. 
They're just, Jonathan says, hey, let's go up. Maybe God will help us. And he's like, yeah, I'm with you, heart and soul. Let's do this. There's no plan in place. They're completely uncertain of the outcome. There's no guarantee of success. But this armor bearer guy, he was just not willing to let this moment go. There was a sense of urgency that he caught from Jonathan. Yeah, like we have to do something. Verse 8 says this. Jonathan said, come on then. We'll cross over toward them and we'll let them see us. Now, if I'm the armor bearer, I'm scratching my head like, well, I was with you until, until, like, shouldn't we sneak attack them? Or there's two of us. We have one sword. There's a whole bunch of them. He said, no, we're going to let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. <laughs> so when we're invited into conflict, that's when we'll know God's doing something. <laughs> See, we love, to, we love to pray to God, God, if you just work everything out for us and open all the doors and give me this divine escalator, I'll know it's you. Jonathan says, no, if they want to pick a fight with us, we'll climb up there and we'll know God is with us. Verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, the Philistines said, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Okay, first off, the worst plan ever. <laughs> Let them see us. Secondly, um, in verse 13, it says this, that Jonathan climbed up this cliff to get to the Philistine outpost, he climbed up using his hands and his feet. See, sometimes the moments that God invites us into involve conflict and difficulty and exertion, and we have to get rid of this false narrative that all the divine moments that God invites us into are supposed to just be easy peasy. Right? Oh, the God just opened the door and just kind of, it was so easy. It just dropped. Here, here's what I found. Most of the monumental moments in my life and in my faith journey with God have not been easy. Most of the times, in fact, I'd say it feels more like climbing and scraping and clawing my way up. Verse 15, they reach the top. Jonathan and his armor bearer have this skirmish with about 20 Philistine soldiers and they win with one sword. Verse 15, then panic struck the whole army those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties. And the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they finally climb up. They reach the top of the cliff. They win a scuffle with about 20 soldiers. And the Philistine army panics, and it's a panic sent by God. The earth starts to shake. There's an earthquake. All of a sudden, the Philistine raiders turn against each other, and they're fighting each other. There's this huge battle cry and all this commotion. And we find out later in the chapter, when King Saul and his 600 men under the pomegranate tree, when they hear the commotion, Saul says this, bring the Ark of the Covenant. And so the priest comes with the ark, and the commotion's getting louder and louder. And while Saul is talking to the priest, it's getting louder and louder. And Saul finally says, withhold your hand, priest, because we don't have time to pray. 
See, sometimes we don't need to say another prayer. We need to do something, right? They've been praying and seeking God, which is a good thing. I'm not minimizing that. But Saul recognizes in his heart that just like Jonathan acted with the urgency that was in his heart, Saul recognizes that, no, now is not a time for prayer. It's a time for action. And so they, they enter the fray with just one other sword. And God gives them a miraculous victory and push back the Philistine forces that were raiding them. And here's my takeaway from this story in 1 Samuel. And it's this. When you and I find the courage we need to leave the safe confines of the pomegranate tree and engage the uncertain, ordinary moments that God puts in front of us with faith, God moves heaven and earth for us. He does. And if you don't believe that, it's because you're living under the pomegranate tree. See, it's not until you step out and say, God, I, I have a sense of urgency in my heart. You're doing something in my life, and you're putting courage in me, and, and I know that something needs to be done because you're too good for this. And when you step out, God starts to move in powerful ways for you. He has done that for me. And, and it's funny because in my life, I, sometimes I, I move from pomegranate tree to pomegranate tree, right? Like the pomegranate tree is safe, it's secure, just kind of wait on the Lord. But then there's always a time in my life when God, God tells me, I'm kind of waiting on you. Stop living life in neutral and put the car in drive and, and go where I'm out in front of you, leading you. But that's so very hard to do. That's why the, one of the most common prayers you'll find in the New Testament is a prayer for boldness and courage. Because God is always on the move. And to follow him, guess what? We have to be on the move too. And so I'm going to wrap up this morning by sharing something with you that we've been discussing as a church leadership team. We have a vision team at our church that, that kind of lead and direct the affairs of the church. And the vision team consists of Denise Kessler, Deb Holinich, Mark Patterson, and then the three staff pastors, Abby, Ian, and I. <coughs> And we get together every month, and we pray, and we try to see what it is that God's doing in our, in our church and where God wants to lead us. And for a little over a year now, we've been praying about next steps for our church community. And we don't have an ephod. If we did, we would wear it. We, we, but we don't. We just pray, and we seek God. And we've been praying pretty, and, and having conversations pretty regularly now for about a year, praying, what's the next step for our church? Did you guys know? that we have people who are a part of our church that live in Barrie, Montpelier, Johnson, Burlington, South Burlington, Westford, Ferrisburg, Shelburne, Essex, Fairfax, Williston, St. Albans, New Haven, Richmond, and even Craftsbury. You guys know that we have that? <laughs> That's such a weird thing for a little church like ours. I mean, if it was a megachurch, yeah, you'd, you know, you'd expect a whole bunch of townships to be involved. And so we've been asking ourselves the question, God, what are you up to? This is not, this, this is, is weird. And, it, and honestly, as a pastor, it's, it's, a, it's a little unsettling at times because how does a church be a church when it's spread out all over the place? You know, most local churches are these little parish communities and everybody just comes from the community. And, and that's just not what God has done here. I guess reintroducing Jesus in Vermont looks like reintroducing Jesus in Vermont. Who knew? But, but we, 
We've just been asking God, like, what is happening? Because we don't advertise, we don't market, we don't even have our own space. Like, we just rent this little space. And it was funny because the, the camera crew from ABC that came here to find me this morning, they couldn't find the place. And I had to, like, go outside and say, this is it. Like, we don't see any signs or anything. I'm like, no, we're the kind of church that you just have to work really hard to find. <laughs> I just thought that was so strange. But it's a little unsettling to not know kind of what God is doing, but we realize that God is doing something big, bigger than what we know, right? And that we need to prepare for it, whatever that is. We need to be ready to leave the safe confines of the pomegranate tree when God leads us out. We had a, a partnership party last May, and, and this is kind of a new thing that we're going to do every year, and our next one's going to be planned for February where we just ask folks to come and kind of celebrate some of the things God's done and dream about the future together that God wants to create with us as a church. And we had our first partnership party last May, and it was just an unbelievable time. We had food and, and all this conversation and dreaming together about what does God want to invite us into? What is he waiting for us to do? And we had some great conversations about certain cliffs that we need to climb and crawl our way up to engage the mission that God has for us. And we introduced the idea of potentially looking for a new rental space for our church community. Um, Main Street Landing is a wonderful place to worship. We're, we've built great friendship with the folks here, and they're so accommodating. But that being said, we, we recognize that there's some limitations to our current rental space. And we feel, we have this sense of urgency that God is inviting our church to engage more. He's inviting our church to engage more. And one of the things that we feel is a really strong sense of calling to unleash the arts in our church. Um, God has just brought a number of artists and, and creatives to our church, and, and we want to invite artists to use their creativity to tell God's story, to tell our story, to tell all the things that God is doing. We want to be able to, to visually and artfully communicate our core values and who we are as a church and what God is inviting us into. But these aren't our walls. And so we're somewhat limited in that invitation and how we can unleash the arts. Another thing that we just really feel God calling us and leading us into is to be more present in the community where we're better positioned to serve. To, to have like an operation center of sorts where we can serve our community more effectively. We have ministry partners that we partner with and we financially support and some of our folks volunteer. And I, I, in my heart, I just want to have a, a heart of hospitality that says, you should come to our place and we could just like host an event or a party for you. And this whole idea of hospitality and expanding hospitality has been really on our hearts. We also feel called and, and led to expand our hospitality um, to our children and youth ministries. I don't know if you're aware of this, but on Sunday mornings, when our kids come in, we kind of shuffle them down to the second floor and, and stick them in a couple rooms, and we have two bins full of all of the kids' stuff, and we just kind of like set it up, and, and our teachers do a great job just using the, the limited kind of resources and space that we have. But we want to expand our hospitality to our kids. We want them to have like meaningful interactions with God and with their peers and with their teachers. And, and, and we're just not able to do that right now, but we believe that God's preparing us to lead us into a future where we can do that. Uh, we want to extend more hospitality and offering special prayer and worship nights. We want to create spaces where people can come midweek 
and they can come and visit and pray and rest, and we can host parties and events and celebrate with folks. We, we, we really feel that God's pulling us to, to provide more educational opportunities throughout the week and Bible studies and, and classes and forums and discussion groups and workshops. And so we feel compelled that, that, that God is inviting us into something, but in order to head into that, we have to leave the safe confines of the pomegranate tree. Which I got to be honest, it's just really comfortable right now. It's really nice to kind of wait on God for a year and put the ephod on and be like, okay, God, everything's good right now. We're paying our bills and some people are becoming followers of Jesus and we even baptized some folks this summer and we have some volunteers that are ministering and serving. We got great small groups going. We're good. And God's saying, yeah, you're good, but I'm out here. And now I'm waiting for you because you need to engage. And I'm moving you here. And now I'm waiting, waiting on you. See, there's not a lot that we know, but we know this. We don't want to be the type of church that camps under the pomegranate tree trying to protect and hold on to our blessings. Because when we do that, we relinquish the future that God wants to create with us. And so I know it, it, it sounds kind of common and ordinary, uh, talking about a, a rental Change, a location change, a new rental space, it seems ordinary, but we believe that it, it, could, it could position us for the future that God wants to create with us. And so as a leadership team recently, we decided that we want to do something similar to what Jonathan did. And we want to look for a sign that, that God is, is moving and leading us. And so just like Jonathan, he said to his armor bearer who didn't have any armor, he said, hey, let's go up. And, and we have no intention of doing this on our own as a leadership team. We, we need everyone with us. And so what we want to do is we want to start a fund called the Next Step Fund. And we're hoping that this fund really uh, positions us to step into the future that God is waiting to create with us and for us. And we're hoping to raise $30,000 for this fund. Um, it's not a magic number. God didn't give us this number. We just came up with it. It's kind of like when Jonathan says, hey, if they say this, then we'll know the wait here. If they, if they invite us up, then we'll know God's with us. And that, was, that will be our sign. And so we believe as a leadership team that we need to look for a sign. And so we, started, we want to start up this, this savings account called the Next Step Fund. And we want to create an opportunity for everyone to contribute. We're hoping to raise 30000 it's not a magic number. It might cost more. It might cost less to get into a new rental space. We don't know because uh, rental agreements vary depending on how much space it is, how long has it been vacant, is the space fit up appropriately, all of these factors, right? How long is the lease agreement for? But we believe this, that 30000 can be a great starting point and a great sign that God is waiting for us to move, to move out and engage. And so there'll probably be some, some climbing and scraping to get there. We don't know exactly what that looks like. We're going to leave that just wide open. There's no deadline. There's no date. We're not saying, oh, by this date, we need to raise that money. We're just going to leave it open and just trust that God's going to do what he's leading us to do. And when we hit that certain amount, that's when we'll start looking for potential new space. And maybe God will give us something really, really amazing and for cheap. Right? That's what I'm praying and believing for because I'm a cheapskate. <laughs> uh, 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 faith, full of faith cheapskate. <laughs> 
But, but we, we're going to wait. We're going to wait on God, and we're going to wait until we hit that, that mark. And, and whenever that is, it's just going to be open-ended. And so if, you, if you're with us heart and soul and you want to contribute to that fund, we're just going to ask you, whatever you give above and beyond your normal giving, because we still need to pay our bills and, and, and give donations to all of our ministry partners in town and abroad. But if you feel like, oh, yeah, I, I want to contribute to this, this next step, so that we can be more hospitable and step in and engage all that God has for us. Just write the words next step on your donations, whether that be through PayPal or through a checking account. And, and you'll hear us mention it from time to time going forward and, and talking about it and even probably include it in our financial slide that we show you once a month. Um, but I'm going to ask this, that whether you're able to contribute financially or not, would you, in, would you join us in praying and seeking God and saying, yeah, God, what do you have for our church? next? How, how, do, how, do, how do we, we move from the safe confines of the pomegranate tree and, and engage more? Would you join us in prayer for, to do that? Okay, I got to convince the rest of you. I heard some mm-hmm's. The rest of you over the next few weeks, I just have to convince you. I, I guess my recruiting is worse than Jonathan's. <laughs> I didn't hear any, yes, we're with you, heart and soul. So I've got, I've got my work cut out for us. <laughs> Well, let's do this. Can we stand together and we're going to close our time in prayer? And after we pray, well, hey, yeah, the worship team will come up. We'll sing one song together. And then um, Abby will come up and pray a blessing over our food. And we'll just have move out into the potluck area and gorge ourselves on God's blessings. <laughs> let's pray. Lord, we just take time to recognize what a good God you are and how you have blessed us and blessed us and blessed us with so much more than we could ever imagine or in any way deserve. And Lord, we also confess to you uh, our fear because sometimes we live life in neutral because we don't want to make mistakes. And we can allow it to paralyze us and, and we watch life passing us by and we wonder where you are. Why aren't you making extraordinary pathways for us? And, and God, as we looked at this passage of Scripture today, it's often the ordinary uncertain moments that end up being the monumental ones in our lives where you move us and you, you shape us. So God, would you give us the courage this morning in our own personal lives to leave the safety of the pomegranate tree and to step out in faith, to trust that you are good, that your mercies endure forever, and that you are moving. And for us to follow you, we have to move as well. God, would you give us the courage that we need to maybe not even know the plan, but to know that you're out in front of us, leading us. Nothing can hinder you from saving, Lord, whether by many or by few. And maybe you'll help us, so we're praying. We're asking that you do. God, shake heaven and earth. Show, show your power and your glory and your majesty. And Lord, we will do our very best to pay attention to where it is you're leading us. Even those moments that look ordinary, God, we want to see you in them. So as we close with a, a song singing together, God, we pray that you would encourage our hearts and that you would stir our faith. And Lord, we pray for our, our church community, whatever next steps you have for us, including a potential new rental space. Lord, that you would fill um, our hearts with expectancy and that you would stir our faith to believe that you're up to something even though we don't quite know what that looks like. And we'll continue just to walk in it and, and give you all the praise and glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 